0: I welcome you today as we continue in our journey through Advent, and I especially want to thank Pastor Janet, as she shared with us last week and reminded us that because of this new kind of king, we can have hope no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. As we continue today, let me invite us to join our hearts together in a word of prayer to continue to prepare for the coming of the new king among us. Almighty God, this day, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, shaking us to new life in you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today, the countdown in this Advent season continues. We began by focusing on this new king who helps us embrace peace in a rather unique way through something such as repentance a couple of weeks ago. And then as I already mentioned, last week Pastor Janet reminded us that this new king helps us to have hope no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. And now today we are in week number three of Advent and we'll be focusing on what it means with this new king to live into joy. Now, one of the downsides of week number three of Advent is that now we are less than two weeks away from Christmas. So I don't wanna make you panic, but I do wanna invite you just to take a deep breath and to remind you, you will get it all done one way or another in time for Christmas. Now, you might remember that Advent literally means coming. Specifically, we've been preparing for the birth of Christ among us, the very first time that Christ came among us as a tiny baby boy with Joseph and with Mary. Original coming of Christ. But when we talk about Advent, we're also talking about a second coming of Christ that will come someday in the future. And we've been learning throughout this series and this time that Jesus is such a different kind of king in so many different ways. And today we find ourselves in the Gospel of Matthew. And what a unique description Matthew gives us. Only the Gospel of Matthew depicts Jesus through the eyes, the lens of Joseph, the man who's engaged to be married to Mary. Now, normally when we think about Jesus and his arrival, we think about angels that are beautiful in the sky. We think of fluffy, somehow non-scratchy hay that Jesus has laid upon. There's generally a sense of good vibes when we think about Jesus being born at Christmas. However, when we read the story in Matthew, and when we think about it in the context for Joseph, Mary's soon-to-be husband, there's not a whole lot of good vibes to be found, at least not yet. Here is the nativity not as it is often presented on those Christmas cards or those dang feel-good Christmas Hallmark movies. I keep trying to get into them, but I just can't, but I know a lot of you love those movies, but that's not the vibe that we get here in Matthew today. In fact, when we get to Matthew, it's not really a sense of good vibes, it's a sense of disturbance that we encounter. Far from bringing peace and comfort into the life of Joseph, the announcement of the coming of Jesus brings chaos and fear for for Joseph. It is not an understatement to say that the announcement that the angel gave to Joseph is downright disturbing. This is a message that makes Joseph sit straight up in bed because it's presenting him with a tremendous moral dilemma. Should he quietly divorce Mary, who is now unexpectedly pregnant so as to avoid public shame for her and for him? and all the humiliation that would come with that? Or should Joseph listen to this heavenly being, this angel who's now speaking to him in the dream? As far as we can tell, Joseph is so stupefied by this series of events, he cannot even utter one word in response to what the angels tell him. And notice it's not just shock for Joseph, clearly Joseph is afraid as well. How do we know that Joseph is afraid? Look what we hear in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter one, verse 20. There we hear, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously you do not say, do not be afraid unless the person you're talking to is afraid which is exactly what's happening here with the angel and Joseph. Now, as a quick side note, when we compare stories, when we compare accounts in the different gospels of the arrival of Jesus, specifically when we compare Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel, lots of times the stories are different or at least sharing from very different angles. So for example, Luke focuses on Mary's perspective. Matthew focuses on Joseph's perspective. Luke focuses on angels and shepherds and them coming to the manger. Matthew jumps straight to the time when the Magi come to visit Jesus after his birth. The accounts are very different in many ways, but there's one thing in particular they both share. Both Mary and Joseph, according to Luke and Matthew, experience fear, because they're both given the command, do not fear. We hear it for Joseph today in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. We would hear it for Mary in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, verse 30. Mary is afraid at the appearance of the angels and what the angel shares with her. And Joseph has a lot to fear at this point because now with his wife already pregnant, He fears public censure. He fears the humiliation that might come with that. He fears the embarrassing situation. He fears the loss of his reputation. All of these things he stands to lose and it makes him afraid. There's a lot for him to be afraid of here. But notice then, what is the reason that the angel gives to Joseph to not be afraid? A sign, specifically, a sign that will be given. The angel gives Joseph a sign, and what is that sign? We hear it in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, where we hear these words. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the angel says to Joseph, Joseph, I know this is all rocking your world. I know that you are afraid, but you do not need to fear. Why? Because God is giving you a sign a virgin your wife-to-be will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. So Joseph, every time you lay eyes on your son, be reminded that God has not forgotten you. God has not abandoned you because God is with you in and through this son. Now, I'm guessing to this point that most of us have heard some part of this story. We have probably at least heard a reference to Joseph and the angel, and we know that's what happens when we talk about Christmas and what happens at this time of the year. But remember also something that you might have shared with us a while back in the Genesis series. We lifted up a scholar named Marty Solomon, and he referred to something called the lullaby effect. And that's when you are familiar enough with a story that you start to overlook some of the details that are in it because you think, oh, I already know this story, so I don't have to pay a lot of attention to it. I think that happens with us a lot when it comes to Christmas and the Christmas story, and particularly today, this encounter with Joseph and the angel. So in this instance, I would bet that many of us are aware of the phrase that the virgin will give birth to a son and they shall name him Jesus. I, again, I'm guessing we've heard that in different places. But what I'm guessing that many or maybe even most of us do not realize is that this is not the first time in scripture this phrase is used. In fact, Matthew is making a direct reference back to a particular prophet named Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah seems to be Matthew's favorite prophet because Matthew references Isaiah more than any other. So specifically, if we go back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, we can go to chapter seven, verses one and two, and we hear These words. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Ramaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Israel, but they could not overpower it. Now, try saying those names three times fast. Now, the house of David was told Aram has aligned itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Now, if we can get past these crazy names, what we start to understand and what's going on here is that one king, King Ahaz, is afraid because two other kings are getting ready to attack him. And in this context, if we were to continue to verse 14 of Isaiah chapter 7, we would hear this. Eventually, then, therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, does that phrase or passage sound familiar? Of course, it's what we hear in the Gospel of Matthew in this Christmas season. But Matthew is not the very first one to utter these words in Scripture about this sign of a virgin conceiving and giving birth to a son and calling him Emmanuel. Instead, what Matthew is doing is he's remembering another time in history where this same thing was said. And to understand more of the significance of these words, we need to go back to that time in history and unpack them a little bit and understand the context so that we get the full impact of what's really happening here and what Matthew is referencing in Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a powerful book. It's probably one that we don't read through too often. Isaiah is a prophet, and prophets are some of the hardest ones for me to read and understand, and I'm guessing that might be the case for you. But to understand what's happening here in Isaiah today, we could go back and look at books like 2 Chronicles in Scripture or 2 Kings, and there we hear the historical account of what Isaiah is referencing today. And at this time in history, there is a great empire, the Assyrian empire, that is the one that has primary control or power at the time. And we're roughly in the eighth century BC, so a long time before Jesus comes onto the picture and into the scene. And here's the context. At this time, Israel no longer exists as one kingdom. Instead, they don't just have one king, there's a northern portion of Israel that's still called Israel. And there's a southern portion of Israel called Judah. So two different kingdoms. And there was another country at this time called Aram, which was also close by. All three of these kingdoms are relatively small. And again, the superpower of the day was Assyria. They had the military might and power, and the way they stayed in business is they would threaten the nearby kingdoms and they would say to them, either pay us a tax so that they could continue to fund the building of their military and empire and prosperity, or they would say to those smaller countries, you will be destroyed. You can guess that most countries chose to pay the tax because they did not wanna be destroyed. But around 734 BC, those in Israel in the northern portion, the king there and the king of the nearby small country, Aram, hatched a plan. And they believed that if enough small countries could come together to go against Assyria, they then could overthrow the great power Assyria so they didn't have to be under their control anymore. However, their plan involved approaching the king of the southern part of Israel, Judah, and getting that king on board. And the king of Judah in the south was this guy named Ahaz. So the kings of Aram and the kings of the northern portion of Israel, they approach Ahaz to join them and they make their pitch. But King Ahaz says, no way. Have you seen how powerful Assyria is? We are not going against them even with you guys. We will remain faithful to the king of Assyria so he doesn't destroy us. Now." The other two kings, the Northern Kingdom of Israel king and the king of Aram, they will not take no for an answer. So you know what they do? They decide to attack the king of Southern Israel, Judah, which is King Ahaz, to get him off the throne so they can put one of their own on the throne so that then they can carry forward their plan to attack Assyria. So much for working together. I mean, this is the backdrop in Isaiah chapter seven. And if you were interested, you could even Google more about it. It's technically called the Syro-Ephraimite War. Now you can imagine how Ahaz is feeling at this point. He is scared out of his mind. Remember what we heard in Isaiah chapter seven, verse two. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. That is the Israel kingdom in the north. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. They're literally shaking in their shoes. Ahaz is terrified. If the attacking forces of Israel and Aram get to Jerusalem where he lives, he knows they will kill him. He is so scared. But there's another reason that he is so scared, Ahaz. He's scared because he feels he's alone. He has forgotten that God is God. Over the years, he has drifted away from God, and he thinks that God will no longer then help him. Ahaz had become king when he was 20 years old. He had done evil, lots of evil, in the sight of the Lord. He had reigned for 16 years, but he had built altars to other gods. He's drifted, he's done awful things, and now he is terrified. Now, before we go on, to realize this idea of drifting, it's not unique to Ahaz. We all have times of wandering. We all have things that we've done, evil, awful things, that maybe we too think there's no way God could be with me. There's no way God could walk with me at this point after all I've done against God and forgetting God and doing these evil, awful acts. It becomes easy for any of us to think that because I've done these bad things, God will not be with me. That's exactly how Ahaz is feeling. But then Isaiah comes to Ahaz today, and he says, no, you will not be alone. In fact, here's how you know you will not be alone. The Lord will give you a sign, and the sign will be this, Ahaz. There is a woman among you, and she's already pregnant, and she's gonna have a boy, and you're gonna call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, because Ahaz, God is with you. It's almost like, as the country song says, Ahaz, here's your sign. We don't know the exact woman in Ahaz's time to whom Isaiah is referring probably someone like Ahaz's youngest wife, who very well at this point might already know that she's pregnant. Isaiah though is telling Ahaz, this'll be your sign, that this child, before this child is old enough to know right from wrong, you will be freed and the kingdom in the north and the other kingdom of Iran, they will be wiped out. Now in many cultures, the age of knowing right from wrong is usually considered to be age 12. So Ahaz, in the next 12 years, you can be assured that both Aram and northern Israel, they'll be wiped out. This you can trust and count on. Why this sign? We don't know for sure, but we do know that it means every single time from this point on, once that child is born, every time Ahaz looks at that child and that son, he will be reminded that God is with him no matter what. God is with him even in spite of what Ahaz has done in his life. God will help you find a way, Ahaz." And you know what happened? Ahaz eventually decided to send for some help from Assyria itself. He let the Assyrian king know what was happening and the plots being set up against him. So Assyria came first and wiped out Aram, and at the same time carried away many from the northern kingdom of Israel, which left Judah in a much safer position. All of that happened within three years. But then the Northern Kingdom of Israel decided again to rebel about 12 years later, and this time the Assyrian king wiped out the Northern Kingdom completely. Thus was fulfilled what the prophet Isaiah said, that before the child was old enough to right from wrong, roughly age 12, both the kingdoms of the Northern Kingdom in the north and the kingdom of Ram will be wiped out. This was all happening for the first time that Isaiah shared these words about a virgin conceiving and giving birth to a son named Emmanuel. And we see that God did provide a way when it seemed there would be no way. Now fast forward through the centuries to the Gospel of Matthew written roughly around 40 AD and Joseph is also scared. Joseph also does not see a way forward. Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. He's going to divorce her quietly, but then he has this dream one night and the angel says, Joseph, you do not need to be afraid for a virgin shall conceive and give birth to a boy and his name shall be Emmanuel. This is the one that Mary carries. And then after saying this, Matthew adds his own commentary when he says in chapter one, verses 22 and 23, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is reminding Joseph in Matthew and God is reminding us that there have been times, there are times when things look bleak There are times when we are going to be filled with fear and anxiety. There are times when we don't know how we're going to make it forward. And yet this God says, God will make a way. God did it with Ahaz, God did it with Joseph, and God will do it with you and I as well. No matter what the level of fear, no matter how great the disruption in our lives, no matter how great the odds seem to be stacked against us, I don't know what you're going through this day, I don't know what fear and anxiety is coming upon you, but know this, this God still comes among us to be with us. This God still offers goodness and grace and hope and joy no matter how bleak the situation may look. Because God comes to us no matter what, we therefore can have joy no matter what. We don't have to be afraid. Fear is something that we all struggle with, no matter who we are, no matter where we are in life. We all have places of anxiety and fear. Do you worry too that if you stray too far from God, if you drift too far, if you do too many wrong things, that God will no longer be with you? Ahaz was so evil, he even sacrificed his own kids to false gods. He was so lost, he was so afraid, and yet God helped him in his fear. Do you worry about your reputation or what those close to you will think as you seek to do the next faithful thing? Well, for Joseph, his reputation was on the line and his well-being. and God helped him in his fear. God will come to be with him even in his fear. Therefore, God will do the exact same for you and for me. What are you worried about today? Where are you filled with fear? None of us are immune to fear. We live in a time when in many ways, we actually have less things to fear compared to other times throughout different cultures throughout the centuries, and yet our anxieties only continue to rise. There's a term called catechesis, and it refers to the process of being instructed and informed through teaching. Catechism is generally thought to be the job of the church to help form people in church, to help form them into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But as Professor Alan Jacobs points out, a switch has occurred where no longer is it the church that's primarily doing the catechizing in culture, it's the culture that catechizes. And in our current political culture, there are many forms of this catechizing that are happening with TV and radio and podcasts and Twitter and all kinds of things. And what's increasingly happening is that people are more and more aligning themselves with those who think like them or act like them. And so what they do is they subject themselves to that catechesis all day long through social media, day after day and hour after hour. But if we are not careful, we can allow the voices of our culture to form us more than the voice of God and the voice of God's church. Just think for a moment in our own life, Even right now, how much time do we spend on a daily or weekly basis being formed in the community of God's people in church or in scripture versus the 24-hour news cycles of those that we seem to align our thinking most with? Which one do you think right now is more catechizing in our lives? Those in the public eye know that news stories are driven by a fear mechanism within each of us that raises a fight or flight response. And so people in the industry take advantage of that perspective and people on the left and the right do this. There's the constant need for new. There's even a saying in the news industry, if it bleeds, it leads. To capture our attention, to capture the emotional, to keep bringing us back for more and more, it's all designed to help make us tune in. And there is no doubt that we face significant challenges today. We cannot ignore the problems that are before us. There are many significant problems. But at the same time, in many ways, by many standards, we live in the safest time in all of human history. The world today is better in many ways than it has been in past centuries. For example, according to the Center for Economic and Policy Research, global extreme poverty has actually declined. In roughly 1800, about 80% of the world's population made the equivalent of a dollar and 90 cents or less. Today, that number has dropped to about 10% of the world's population. Or if you consider childhood illnesses, what killed some of our parents and grandparents, things like polio and smallpox and measles, no longer kill us. The Pew Research Center on Violence reports that that the violence rate has been cut roughly in half from 1993 to the year 2018. Today, less Americans have been killed in war over the last 50 years than at any period in our nation's history. When it comes to cancer, we see more cancer because we are living longer and it's detected earlier, but in the last 25 years, the rate of dying by cancer has actually decreased by 27%, and that's expected to continue. And when it comes to happiness, growing older, we think for many of us is a bummer because all of us want to somehow remain young. But the irony is, according to the data, the older you become, the more happy you become. In fact, if you're able to hold on to your health, it's indicated through data and research that the happiest age is actually age 85. (laughs) They're the happiest people, why? Because generally, as they get older, they have more time, they have more money, they have more space for vacation, or they get to do the things they wanna do, the things they've been waiting in life to do. I can think very specifically of a couple folks among us, uh, some of our older folks who just every time I see them greet me with the biggest smile and the biggest hug. They're generally happy people. There's a sociologist named Barry Glasner and he reports that in many ways, we are safer than ever, but three quarters of people are now filled with more anxiety than ever because it's just one crisis after another, after another, after another. And again, we have to pay attention to the issues that are before us. things like hyperpartisanship, things like the gap between the haves and the have-nots, things like climate change, things like virus variants. We need to pay attention to all of those things, but they cannot own us. Why? Because we're not alone. We are not left to our own devices, because Jesus is still Lord. Jesus still reigns. And we still are given a sign, a sign that this Christ child, this Christ who is Lord, is still born among us, with us, and his name is Emmanuel. And because he is with us, we need not fear. Adam Hamilton says that with Jesus, we can face our fear. With the F meaning, face your fears with a bias of hope. Don't just assume catastrophe. Don't just assume the worst. Remember that in Christ, the worst thing is never the last thing. There's always the possibility for hope. E, examine your fears in light of the facts. Check out your sources. Don't only rely on the sources that confirm your own bias. Think in your own life, do a rewind. Think of all the times and all the things that you were nervous about or worried about or filled with anxiety about. How many of those things actually came about? Some no doubt did but I bet a whole lot never even came to fruition. A, attack your anxieties with action. Take a step, do something, do something constructive. We so often worry about things, we'll just take a step to address them. Go see the doctor, uh, begin focusing more on prayer, talk to a person about it, quit taking, making a, uh, an excuse, go ahead and take a walk, just do something. Remember what Ahaz did when we looked back in Isaiah, he took a step of action. He sent a messenger to the king of Assyria to tell him what was going on with the other two little kingdoms. And that king of Assyria came and helped him. Ahaz at least did something. He didn't just sit back and do nothing. And finally, R, release your cares to God. And this one is pretty self-explanatory. Pray, release in your heart that which is weighing you down. Do it once a day, do it once an hour, do it once a minute if you need to. Make worship and connecting with God and God's people a priority where you can come before God and release your heart to God. Rely on faith and know you are not alone. And do not fear because we are not alone. And we know we're not alone because we're given a sign. Matthew 1.23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. At Christmas, God says, Do not fear, for I am with you. And because you don't have to fear, you can be filled with joy. There is nothing greater than me, says God. And because I am with you, all your other fears and anxieties will pale in comparison. And because of that reality, we can have great and grounded and unchanging joy no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in. May we hear that good news today, church, in this Advent season that we need not fear because this King is with us and we've been given all the signs that we need. Today, as we conclude our time, I want to ask you to watch a video of a gentleman named Vince. He's a friend of ours here at the church, and Vince has come for many years to our dinner church experience on Wednesday night, we call it First Night. And in that dinner experience, we've watched Vince grow in his own faith and connect with that part of our community. Uh, Over the last while, Vince has encountered some pretty difficult things, not the least of which is he's discovered that he has a form of cancer. But I wanna invite you today to listen to these words of Vince as he shares just a little bit of his story. And part of what you'll hear is that he is not afraid. Because of his faith, he knows that God is with him. And not only is he not afraid, he can even move forward with a great sense of joy. And so with that in mind, I invite you now to listen to these words as Vince shares with us.
1: A few years ago, my sister had said to me, that they have this meal every Wednesday at this church. And I thought, well, okay, why not? Let's try this out. My children and I, Aiden, Abigail, and Christopher, uh, decided that we were all gonna take and go to this Wednesday dinner. Well, not only did we make friends within the church, but we made friends that came to the dinner as well. The majority of the people that uh, uh, came to the meal, uh, we just associated with generally, you know, just being more outwardly spoken than stuck within ourselves, and it brought me to to be a better person. You know, I had a hard time believing in me in here allowing God in 100%. But when I when I allowed him in the peace and contentment, the love oh my it was a
0: transformation. What was it about meeting some of the people or just being there? How what, what started to happen in your heart that you said, you know, I think I do want to look in this direction of faith in God more? What, how did that happen? I started
1: praying more, one-on-one with God, and praying for others. That even in the slightest, God helped them. And that led to more and more personal growth and my
0: looking forward to coming to the meals. So as you share that, uh, Vince, you said, you know, at the beginning, little to no faith, now there's been this transformation. Sitting here today, how would you say, what does your faith in Jesus mean to you today? Everything. Nobody can sway me from that faith.
1: And believe me when I say nobody, because I have been tested.
0: Well, let me ask you along those very lines, do you mind sharing just with us clearly, you're you're offering that in light of the the circumstances that you find yourself in right now. Can you share with us where you are in life right now and what's going on?
1: Well, it started out with my uh, having uh, type 2 diabetes with chronic wasting and then turned into double polyneuropathy which is the feeling of walking on pins and needles and a great deal of pain almost 100 percent of the time well then one thing led to another and then they found abnormalities in my blood so they started doing more testing Uh, sent me to Cancer Treatment Centers of America because they came up with a positive test for cancer. I'm not crying anymore. I'm smiling. People have asked me why I smile. Those that know my situation have asked me why I'm so happy, why I'm smiling. Because I have my faith.
0: Because I know,
1: what I, I know what I know. Nobody can take my faith from me. You may take this body, you may, you can take the medicines that they give me to take my pain away. But I will not give in and I will not give up on my faith.
0: So when you say your faith means everything, it really does. Yes, it does. <laughs> it really does.
1: My life's already with Jesus. There's not a person on this planet that can stand in the way of that faith. But I make it a point to thank God every night when I go to bed. Thank you God for the the day you gave me. May not have been the day I really wanted to have, but thanks for it anyway. And when I wake up in the morning, thank, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that wonderful cup of coffee. And thank you most of all for the gift of another day. Because without the gift of another day, I wouldn't have that coffee.